Hello and welcome to the Raw Fork Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Buxov, and I'm a functional medicine pharmacist in New York, as well as an integrative health coach and clinical herbalist. I'm pleased to go into season three of this podcast and continue to bring on other holistic-minded pharmacists and healthcare professionals to the show. I'm constantly inspired by my guests and their stories and love sharing their points of view with you all. Please enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show this week. Last week I took a few days off for Thanksgiving break and I hope you all just celebrated as best you can or maybe you also took a few days off to just relax and hang out. I'm sure this year looked very different for many of us than normal. But still, I hope you had a nice and safe and pleasant time. So this week, I'm super excited to introduce this next guest. I had such a blast recording this episode with Dr. Leah Johnson, known to the cannabis community as Dr. Leah the Holistic Healer. She was so passionate in talking about improving healthcare, utilizing herbs, and in particular, her knowledge around cannabis was astounding and blew me away. I personally learned a ton. Dr. Leah is a trained clinical cannabis pharmacist and the owner and CEO of Alchemist Consulting. She's also an accomplished, highly driven clinical long-term care and rehabilitation pharmacist with a primary focus in pain, mental health, including depression, anxiety, insomnia, etc., and sexual health medication management. She also holds three patents under the name Leah Haibi, for natural herbal remedy tinctures, which she helped develop as the head of R&D for an herbal supplement company. Dr. Leah believes that complete physical and mental health and well-being can be influenced by the utilization of cannabis as well as other herbal remedies and supplements in conjunction with pharmaceutical medications. She believes that most patients are given too many and inappropriate prescription medications while not being given the knowledge for utilizing effective herbals and supplements to reduce pill burden. She also believes that many patients are unable to get full relief of their ailments due to the missing components in their medication regimens. In an effort to improve the overall health and well-being of patients, Dr. Leah works with patients and their healthcare providers from all over the country to reduce the amount of medications taken, alter timing and dosing of medications to improve effectiveness, and identify medications which could be causing issues. She also works with cannabis companies to advise them on dosing, safety interactions, and how to better help their customers see health improvements with the use of their products. She also holds a doctorate degree in pharmacy from the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. So without further ado, welcome Dr. Leah to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Raw Fork podcast. I have with me today Dr. Leah Johnson. She's known in the field as uh, just Dr. Leah, the holistic healer, and she's a clinical cannabis pharmacist. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So why don't you just kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and where you grew up? Sure thing. Um, so again, I'm Dr. Leah Johnson, or Dr. Leah to uh, to my colleagues in the cannabis field. Um, so I grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut. So I'm actually originally from the East Coast, Ooh. and um, I, you know, I had my basic, uh, you know, after high school, I decided that 
I, I took my, my basic undergrad and I went to Quinnipiac University. Um, after Quinnipiac, I uh, was working in the research and development field for uh, natural herbal, uh, traditional Chinese herbal supplements for about three years and then decided that based on the questions I was getting from most of my patients was, can I take this with this medication? Can I take this uh, liquid tincture with this medication? And I realized that as much as I loved herbals and herbals were a really fascinating part of my field, I, I really wanted to expand more into medications. So from there, I went on to Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences to get my uh, pharmacy doctorate. And, um, you know, and then from there, I decided that the East Coast wasn't really my style, so I moved over to California, um, and that's and that's where I am now in us in San Jose, the Bay Area. So it's a it's a great place to be. A little bit warmer, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely warmer, like much closer to the equator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's really cool. Um, what else did you you know like about California that enticed you to just leave everything behind in the East Coast? So for me, it's actually less me and more. Uh, my spouse is, uh, he is a computer engineer. So Silicon Valley made more sense for him. And, you know, at that time, I was pretty convinced that I really wanted to be a retail pharmacist, which I have learned the error of my ways <laughs> over time. But like, I just was dead set on I was going to be a retail pharmacist. So it didn't matter where I moved to. And you know, he needed to go to California and California was nicer than Connecticut. So might as well go. Uh, but definitely learned pretty quickly that retail was not really where I could provide the most education and help to my patients. So quickly got out of retail once I realized that. Yeah, so that's a really interesting story. You know, I don't often hear people doing something before pharmacy and then transitioning into pharmacy. And for you, you actually worked with natural medicine before you did the pharmacy piece of it. So, and you wanted to be a retail pharmacist, which I hardly hear from anyone. So. It was just because the way that it seemed to me was, oh, well, on, in retail, your patient's right in front of you. You see them, you can talk to them, you can work with them, you can educate them on their medication. And what you find out is you have no time to do any of that. Your job is to rush, 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 and fill, 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 and go as fast as possible. And... Honestly, it was the times that the customers said, oh, no, I don't have, I don't, I'm not interested in a consultation. I'm all set. That's when you're like, oh, thank, oh, thank heavens. I can move on and still do more work. And that's not why I became a pharmacist to begin with. I became a pharmacist because I found that the biggest issue with most patients is they don't know that the medication they're on are not correct. They don't know that they, you know, that they shouldn't be having side effects and they shouldn't cover up one medication side effects with another medication. You know, so it was all this information that I had that I wanted to provide to patients and people. And I thought that being in retail, you're right in front of them. So it's a great time to talk to them. But then you find out very quickly, you don't have that time to talk to them because you're filling prescriptions. So um, I learned very quickly that retail as, as you know, has its benefits. But for me specifically, I just it wasn't getting the patient contact and the clinical side that I really wanted to uh, do as a pharmacist. So um, from there, I ended up moving actually on to uh, clinical consulting, and I was with uh, long-term care facilities, so um, elderly patients in skilled nursing facilities, for about three to four years, and um, that was great. 
I really, really enjoyed it. I really, you know, felt like I was actually being a member of the team, helping correct their medication therapy. But I decided to move slightly away from that as well, because same, same situation where my, I wasn't able to help patients the way that I wanted to again, where I would make a recommendation based on a incorrectly used medication. And then at the end of the day, it's the prescriber. So if the prescriber said, Nope, I don't agree with you. I, you know, according to my colleagues, this is what we're supposed to do. So this is what we're doing. But it could be so for example, there are many patients in elderly homes who have combative behavior due to um, psychological issues such as dementia or Alzheimer's. And the worst thing you want to do is put them on an antipsychotic, because if you don't have psychosis, and you put them on an antipsychotic, as you know, as a pharmacist, it just makes things worse. And then it can actually like exacerbate the psychosis. So and make the behavior worse. Um, so that's why I said to myself, you know, it's, it's great that I have the knowledge It's great that some providers will listen to me and will alter the proper the medication to reduce the meds to get the patients on lower doses that are effective. But I still found way too many situations where people were on incorrect and bad regimens, but the provider refused to change it because they didn't know any, they literally said, you know, I am not comfortable changing it. This is the medication they came in from the hospital. I don't know what to change it to. So I'm just going to leave it. And so, you know, it was kind of disappointing to say, well, you have, you know, an educator right here to tell you what they should be on. But since, you are uncomfortable with the medication in general, you're just not going to touch anything. And I, that was, it's in my opinion, that's bad practice. You know, if you have somebody who's able to give you the knowledge to improve your patient population and patient outcomes, then you should take it. You shouldn't just say, well, I'm not sure. So I'm not going to do anything. That's like the worst thing you can do. Um, so that's one huge reason. And I said to myself, well, you know what? I need to be available for patients then and for companies you know, to discuss, you know, all medication of all herbals, all um, homeopathic, all supplements, naturals, uh, cannabis, everything, and all incorporate it in. So when a patient says, I've been on all these medications, I'm on too many medications, my doctor won't take me off of them, the doctor doesn't really even know what to do with me, help me. That's what I, you know, and that's what I try to do, you know, for on the patient side, um, with all my with my cannabis background, and my natural herbal background, my focus is really trying to make sure that I review a patient's full medical history, their labs and all their info, and then say, oh, well, you know, yes, we could absolutely treat your anxiety with some herbals and some cannabis. But we also might want to look into having your prescriber decrease and, and potentially remove you off this one medication that is actually probably causing your anxiety. So, and that's usually what happens is a medication will trigger the anxiety and then they'll get an anti-anxiety med, which will then cause sleepiness. So they'll mm -hmm. get another med to cover that. As you know, it just builds and builds and builds. And it's not what a pharmacist does. I mean, I, I mean, as we both know, pharmacists really should be prescribers because we really know the best medication regimens for patients based off of their medical ailments and the other medications they're on. So the more that I can help patients do that that and get on a better therapy on less medications lower doses you know that's really what i aim to to do is use whatever holistic or um herbal or supplemental therapies to get them a better treatment and a more effective uh cure for their symptoms 
Yeah, yeah. What you're describing is polypharmacy, as we learned back in pharmacy school, but it's just such common practice that you, you know, you really don't know where to even go. And right now, like the biggest um, thing that insurance companies are implementing to combat this is MTM services. So um, either the insurance company will pay for it or they have their own pharmacist or pharmacy technicians that actually are providing the services to the patient and trying to figure out what we can take off or decrease the dose of so they can minimize both the cost of the insurance that the insurance has to pay for the medications as well as you know prevent any future tangible or intangible cost of a person landing in a hospital and other medical costs associated with it, which I think is a really good initiative. But the thing that I uh, find kind of mind boggling is in general, where does insurance pay come into the picture and does it enhance the picture or does it complicate it even more because now there's a doctor, there's a pharmacist, there's an insurance and there's a patient. And like, how do you see these puzzle pieces interacting? And if I could even challenge you further, how do you see a way to kind of make the system a little more helpful for everyone involved? So, well, the first thing was, I don't, I personally do not believe MTM should be done by an insurance company. I, specifically because they have an, an alternative agenda, which is to get mm -hmm. the patient on cheaper meds or, um, you know, a lower dose because anything that's cheaper is what they want to do. And mm -hmm. cheaper doesn't mean a better patient, a healthier patient. So yeah, they might, you know, Carvedilol, for example, might be cheaper than Metoprolol, but we all know Metoprolol is a much better medication for so many ailments, specifically blood pressure, but like all the, there's many different ailments too, where you know, out of beta blockers, you're going to choose metoprolol over carvedilol just because it doesn't have the side effect profile that carvedilol does. But that doesn't mean that it's cheaper for the insurance company. So the insurance company might say, well, I know it's only like 50 cents per this prescription versus, you know, 30 cents for this prescription. But think about think about thousands of patients that take this. Well, look at how much money we're going to save. And I'm very much against that. I, I perp uh, even when I, um, even when I actually uh, promote and uh, market and um, review uh, products, especially cannabis or herbal products um, through my uh, the podcast that I do with my partner, you know, I purposely do not affiliate with any of these uh, companies because at the end of the day, I don't want there to be a reason why I am the one that is recommending this. It's like, no, I recommend it because it's good, not for any other reason. And it's the same thing with this. If you have an insurance company, they have an ulterior motive. They have a reason to try to switch your meds, not necessarily to a better med, but potentially to, you know, whatever's cheaper for them. So, um, but based on your original question, though, about like, how do we see it in the market? I mean, the way that I think the best thing to go is all patients should have a provider that, and all pharmacists should make sure they're working with providers that are willing, you know, willing to collaborate. There are some physicians that are very, uh, or uh, providers, uh, so physicians and PCAs who, you know, will say, oh, you know, oh, I don't believe in cannabis therapy at all. So don't talk to me about it. Don't, e I don't even know you're using it. And that's wrong. That, that just means that you have a practitioner that is not seeing what you need as a patient. So what I always recommend to patients is don't go online. That's, that's my number one always first. Don't go online. Don't go and just try to do your own research and read. It's not the best thing. You can get a lot of incorrect information because it can easily be interpreted wrong. So first thing I always say is definitely 100% go to a healthcare professional. Second thing, though, is 
if you do not trust your healthcare provis- uh, uh, provider that you're currently working with, whether it's a, like I said, whether it's a physician, a PA or NP, you don't trust them, don't go to them anymore. You need to find a better doctor or, or, or PA or NP. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people have different views just because they're a great uh, provider for one person does not mean they're a great provider for you. I've actually myself changed a, a few doctors, you know, based on the fact that, you know, I'm a pharmacist, I have my doctorate, you know, I know meds very well. So if I work with a physician um, or a PA or NP who tries to tell me what I'm doing wrong in my meds and what, you know, the incro- you know improper supplements, when my entire background is research on these supplements, then, you know, it makes me question their medical advice. And, you know, that's what we are. We're all health, we're all healthcare providers, but what we do is we're practicing. It's called a medical practice for a reason, because everybody's practicing, every provider practices. Once, you know, the more they practice, obviously the, the more background they have, the more knowledge they have, and the better they are at diagnostics and treatment, but we're all practicing. So when a when a provider doesn't know about herbal remedies or cannabis remedies or supplement remedies, and they just immediately throw it out the window versus suggesting that you, you know, reach out to somebody who does know about it. In my opinion, they're not a fully properly functioning physician uh, or a provider. They should be incorporating everything, not just, you know, what they know and what they believe, if they haven't experienced it or tried it, then to say it's not going to work or not helpful is unfair and misleading to their patients. Yeah, totally. So based on what you just said, why is it that you feel so passionate about seeking and incorporating herbal supplements and cannabis therapy in addition to what they're already trained to do, which is allopathic medicine and prescription medications? Why should we look at the everything that's available it's because so my whole thing is if i mean if it works like sorry my my the fine the funny thing i find interesting is that in the pharmaceutical companies or pharmaceutical way of usage of meds what you find is anecdotal if a if a physician or a np or pa has used a med like oh wow i know this is only supposed to be used for this ailment but i found great effects when we use it for this ailment it automatically goes through. However, there is so much anecdotal information as well as actual research on raw, raw, um, raw herbs and, and cannabis and other supplements. And the fact that they're not being utilized because they're not from a, really the only difference is from a pharmaceutical company, not from a pharmaceutical company. That's really the only difference. It's can a pharmaceutical company make money off it or not? And they can't make money off of herbs and they can't make money off easily off of herbs or off of cannabis. So they don't focus on it. And it seems like that's kind of how it's going. But the way I see it is if there is, why, why like my biggest question is why be in pain? Why be anxious? Why, why deal and tolerate with these symptoms if they can be treated? And that's my biggest thing. So like, for example, yeah, there's absolutely a bunch of anti-anxieties that you can use for anxiety, um, but they cause side effects. You know, they make you sleepy. They make you a little bit lightheaded, not really focused. Um, Some of them, you know, are really are weaker than others. Some you can function on, but why put more chemicals in your body that don't have actual ability to work on specific receptors in your body where we actually make our own uh, cannabinoids. We make cannabinoids in our system. 
we have what's called the endocannabinoid system, which is the largest system in the entire body. And it's a system that's already there. So if we already have it there and our body already knows how to utilize it, might as well make sure that we're using, you know, making sure we're using proper regimens and proper uh, herbal therapies to utilize the system properly. I mean, if the system is able, you know, if the C, you know, CBD, CB2 receptor is so effective for, you know, for hormones and external, um, external pain and every, you know, as well as for anxiety, well, why aren't we utilizing it? You know, why are we going to medications that we know will affect other receptors and other uh, systems because they're similar? Why use those when we know that there's actually cannabinoids we can use in our endocannabinoid system, which is made for cannabinoids? And I just feel that we have the knowledge, we have the research, and why not use a better therapy? Why, you know, people, as we've mentioned, especially pain is the biggest thing. People, there's a huge opioid crisis. It's going, getting bigger and bigger through the day and people can't get off of them because of how opioids work in the brain. It's, it's the fact that they're upregulating all the receptors in the brain that's making you need more and need more and need more and get tolerant and need more, where they've shown that even extremely low doses of THC mixed with somebody, you know, for, given to somebody with, uh, who has been now addicted to opioids, is able to actually prevent that euphoria that you get from either the opioid or you get from the cannabis. And it slowly actually allows you to reduce and kind of wean yourself off of the opioid and either stay on the cannabis if needed, if it's chronic pain, or be able to actually fully get off of cannabis and the opioid altogether because you're getting rid of that pleasure center that you have now triggered by using too many opioids. So it's it's such, it's, it's almost like having a tool in your in your tool chest that you just say, I'm not going to use it. That would be the most effective tool. And I know that this house would be built so much more effectively if I use that tool, but I'm just not going to use it. I just, I just don't feel like using it. And that, to me, that's my, of not utilizing every single type of medication that we have available to us. That's what it seems like to me is, meh, I know it's there, but we're just not going to use it for no good reason except for we just don't want to because because it sounds bad. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up too. So what I'm hearing from you is that A, um, some of the medications are just not as selective for what exactly we're trying to tr treat or what receptors we're targeting in the physiology. Number two, um, cannabis works differently and it doesn't cause the same tolerance and euphoria side effects that the strongest medicine for pain we currently have is the opioids and, you know, the classic ones. And even that is not working and you need higher and higher doses. So cannabis would actually decrease the need for that and allow somebody to completely wean off. And then the third thing is that stigma of Cannabis is bad because we've always been told so by political leaders and the law enforcement agencies. So now it just feels weird to open up this can of worms for like all the old school people that never learned this. And they have this tool in the toolbox, but they don't even know about this tool because they have never been taught and have never seen it in a different light other than the stigma. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, it's just, I mean, the stigma is really, in my opinion, the worst, the, the worst point of it. I, I really, 
I perp and I purposely like I will correct people. I will only utilize the term cannabis because we have cannabis, we have cannabinoids in our system. And since I really focus on it on I, I mean, yes, I'm in California. Yes, there is adult use here. But at the same time, what you find is, well, why are they using why, why adult use? You know, why are they using it? Are they using it because you know, they just have nothing better to do, maybe, I mean, but in general, like, why are they using it? Like the same reason, why do people drink alcohol? It's usually not because they have nothing better to do. It's usually because, oh, well, they're a little stressed out and it gives them, takes the edge off a little bit. So it's the same thing with adult use. So you can call it adult use, but really deep down, you're still utilizing it for a medicinal purpose to relax a little bit to, um, to de you know, to decompress a little bit from a tough work day or a tough work week, you know, to um, get a little bit of that anti anxiety effect and calm your brain to help you sleep at night, you know, and so a lot of these uh, adult, adult use patients think they're using it just as rec, you know, using it as adult use. And I again, I won't use the word recreational as well, because it's not a fun game. It's not recreation. It's adult use. So, um, you know, but that's what I've noticed is that a lot of people don't even realize they're using it for medicinal reasons because they're like, oh, well, I've always used it to calm me down. Well, well, there you go. You're using it to calm me down. So I, I just, I, the stigma really bothers me. And again, so I won't use cannabis. I won't use the word recreational. Um, you know, even when, you know, I'll say, you know, rolled up, you know, rolled up, um, crushed up uh, cannabis. I won't say I don't like the street terms. I won't use join. I won't use blunt and all that stuff because again, we don't want to take away the reputability of this amazing medication. And it's already had its you know reputation taken away from it. And what really bothers me so much more is that, you know, as you said, it's a hundred percent governmental and uh, legal industries that are preventing us from the use of it because it was actually used very widely for many, many years where doctors, I mean, there's hundreds of old posters of like, you know, you see a bottle that says cough syrup and it has cannabis in it. It also had chloroform in it, which- Coke. Yeah, Yeah, I had cocaine and, and chloroform. So obviously we need to worry about those types of things. But the only reason why they actually switched away from cannabis, you know, based on the history is they switched away from it because it was hard to dose. It wasn't like, oh, take one of something. It was, oh, you will, you know, take a little, see how you feel, then take a little more. But, you know, everybody, you know, in general, people get lazy. They don't want to see how it makes them feel. They're like, well, tell me how many. So right around when cannabis stopped being used was when they came out with the individual dose tablets. And then as soon as those came out, then it's like, oh, well, we don't have to say, tell me how you feel. Just take this. But to be honest, pharmaceuticals are no better. They really also shouldn't be, you know, it's not, we're not all the same person. We don't have the same anatomy. We don't have the same systems. Even twins don't have the same systems, don't have the same response. So why are we, do- why are we trying to prescribe everybody the exact same medicine? We're not all the same. So that's the nice thing also about herbals and cannabis is it can be tailored specifically to a dose specific for that patient with their specific background and the help they need to treat. Yeah. So what is your take then on the cannabis industry right now? And how is that different from the pharmaceutical industry? Because essentially they are also trying to isolate components, you know, CBD, CBG, THC, like what is your stance on the whole herb versus all these components? 
So what they've shown in research is that it's anytime you isolate specifically what you're looking for, you're going to miss, you're going to actually cause, have a higher chance of causing side effects because the raw material wasn't made to be restrictive in that way. I mean, even opium, like when you take opium and you convert it to opioids, like to Percocet, Norco, into, you know, into pharmacy. Poppy plants is where opioid came from. Exactly. So if you were, so there are plants, it's the seed of the poppy. Sorry about that. Yeah, I didn't describe that. Um, so yeah, but the poppy plant though, in many, many cultures, they still smoke the poppy plant as the poppy plant. They don't do anything. They don't alter it. They don't play with it. And they don't have this ridiculous opioid crisis that we're going through because the plant is made in a way that's always balanced, just like human bodies are made to balance their systems, balance the effect, balance what your body does. And I mean, that's what homeostasis is. It's all about balance. And the plants are balanced. Just so the cannabis plant is balanced. The hemp plant where the CBD comes from is balanced. Where opium from, you know, the poppy seed plant, that's balanced. But as soon as you start extracting and getting specifics, well, there's a reason why we, the plants aren't made to have one chemical specifically in one way, because it can't fix it. It can't balance itself back out. So I always explain to a lot of patients too, there are a lot of patients who are go, oh, THC, everything's THC, end of story, THC is, is medicine done, you know, we don't use anything else. And it's like, CBD is quite effective and it's very important that we're not just isolating THC. THC can be great for a lot of, a lot, a lot of things and a lot of ailments, but the problem with, if you don't have the CBD, which is the natural balance of the THC, you have those side effects. It's the same thing when you, when you isolate anything. And I mean, I will always recommend a fuller broad spectrum, a product to any of my patients um, or the companies I work with over a, an isolate or distillate, because same thing, once you narrow down to that specific chemical ingredient you're looking for, well, nothing's protecting your body against the potential negative effects of that ingredient, like it would if you were to have the entire plant. So you know, with the CBD, I mean, the the biggest thing about CBD is it balances the side effects of THC. So for my patients who say, you know, I'm really anxious, I give them both CBD and THC, the the THC to like help the brain kind of quiet a little bit. But the CBD for the full body feels their heart's not racing, they're not, you know, feeling tense. But at this and at the same time, the the CBD prevents the THC from getting those psychoactive properties. So really the, you really need it. Like, that's why people always recommend eat the whole fruit, you know, eat the whole vegetable, like eat everything that, that comes with it because it, it has all the nutrients in it. Just like the skin has the peels, the skins will have nutrients that you won't get from certain, from the raw um, vegetable or fruit by itself. And it's just, there's, there's so many properties of plants. And again, they're, they're together. It's, it's an all encompassed entity and splitting it off only leads to side effects and less effective treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And same thing also about the cocaine. So the coca plants, it comes from the leaf of the coca. But once you take out that alkaloid, you are potentiating that effect and only focusing on one, one of the effects of the whole plant and all the synergy that goes on. So if you're just chewing on a leaf, you're feeling like a very, very mild, like focus 
um, you know, intensive intensifies your focus and alertness helps you stay awake. But as soon as you do a cocaine, you can get addicted to that and have another epidemic on your hands, which oh, in other countries <laughs> too. Absolutely. I mean, co- um, people, the people from those indigenous areas have been uh, chewing on the coca leaf forever, especially to help with, um, altitude sickness as well, because it keeps you alert and make sure that you're not passing out as the oxygen reduces as well in the area. And it's so effective, but again, we're not hearing about this huge cocaine epidemic in those areas. No, because they've always used it. It's, it's balanced with the natural herbs, as you said, the alkaloids, and it, it's an all encompassing compassed medication. And that's how everything should be. I mean, if we were, I mean, it's, I mean, with any medication, if you were to take it in its, in its entirety, it's way more effective within causing a lot less side effects. So uh, I'm not against pharmaceuticals. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I feel like there are some, I mean, pharmaceuticals are necessary in my opinion for some ailments that just cannot be treated with, um, with uh, raw herbs and uh, supplements by themselves not saying that they can't be helpful and absolutely benefit. Like I know lots of people who are on chemo and did okay on chemo. And then the second they started adding CBD and TH therapy, not only did their nausea and vomiting go away, but their cancer itself actually started seeing, you know, reduction in the growth. So it is beneficial altogether, but sometimes I think you do need a slightly little bit of a helping hand from the pharmaceuticals, but you need to know how much and when to say, that little bit is enough. And I, and I am, I don't need more than that. And a lot of providers right now don't know that point. They don't know when to say, okay, that's enough. We're going to add this supplement to help the effects, which will help the benefits and not add any more negative, any more uh, side effects, which would happen if we were to increase your dose. And that, and that's my biggest thing is that we have all these things, we should be utilizing them together and to fully nourish and heal the body in many different ways and not just focus on, oh, well, the government says I shouldn't take this, so I'm not going to. I mean, I mean, just the government says many things that we don't agree with at times. So why does this have to, why shouldn't this be any different? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, question the stuff that you've been taught, even if you've been taught over and over and over again, it could still be wrong. Oh, you know? yeah. And I mean, yeah, humans are, infa- in, are not infallible. So everybody who's in the government is just ex- as human as us, you know, and they could make mistakes. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I, and the biggest thing that I always like to explain to patients is the high that people associate with cannabis is a side effect. Not that for some patients, it's a desired side effect because that high will also knock you out and help you sleep. So that high is good for insomnia. It's good to have that type of high right before bed. So you fall asleep and you sleep and you don't really feel the high because it allows you to sleep. But people say, oh, well, I won't use cannabis as an, as a medication because, you know, it's, you know, it will get me high. And that's what we're here also to do as, as, you know, as a cannabis pharmacist. I'm here to explain you're not supposed to get high. I mean, if if your goal is not sleep and to knock you out, that's not the goal. The goal is to your ailments, to use the lowest, uh, most effective dose to help you treat your ailments, you know, without any of those side effects. So anxiety, I mean, most people have anxiety during the day. You know, if you're going to, you know, nobody wants to be high all day long, you know, to get around that anxiety. They want to, you know, be able to function. 
So, and that was, that's one huge thing is, I mean, a lot, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm going to get high. It's like, nope, you're not going to get high. That's not the goal. The goal is if you're in pain, the goal is to alleviate your pain. You're anxious. The goal is to alleviate your anxiety. I mean, that's the goal. And if the high is achieved, then we slowly bring down the THC and slowly increase the CBD a little bit to balance it out a little bit better. So, and that's why you should always work with a, uh, a clinical cannabis uh, practitioner. Um, so of any kind, just anybody who knows cannabis knows how to use it properly and knows how, you know, the proper dosing, how to alter it if a patient's having some negative side effects. Um, it's just all really important to make sure you're connecting with the right person and you should always trust uh, the, per the, per uh, the medical professional you're working with. And if you're not, you should always go find a different one because you should always trust the people giving you medical advice. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you mentioned before about a person using cannabis, quote unquote, recreationally, and you don't like that term. So what would be the difference between working with a provider versus like self-medicating and, you know, just smoking it like the way that people have been doing to, you know, either do a recreationally to get the high as teenagers <laughs> or now using it to self-medicate for anxiety and insomnia or pain? So um, I think the biggest difference is there's a lot of bad advice out there. There's also a lot of bad um, and not and not to be harmful. Like people don't people are always just trying to help. But oddly enough, it's the people trying to help that are not part of the um, medical professional side that actually cause the most harm. And it's and that's why I always recommend, you know, even if you know, oh, my neighbor down the street that I'm close with said I should try this. Oh, my brother-in-law said I should try this. Oh, you know, my best friend from high school said I should try this. That's great. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but when you go to dosing, you really need to work with a healthcare professional that knows cannabis um, or knows natural herbs if you're using those instead of cannabis. And the reason is, is because I've seen this a couple of times where a brand new naive patient has no idea what dose to use. They say, oh, well, I have severe, I have anxiety. I take, you know, this medication as needed for it. Can I take this product? And I've seen responses of, oh, absolutely. I was on, you know, seven tabs a day of, you know, that anti-anxiety and, and, you know, I am, you know, and I am on this dose of it. And the problem is, is the advisor, the person who's giving the advice is a heavy, anxiety, uh, pharmaceutical anxiety user. So their brain chemistry is not the same as somebody who has anxiety, who barely uses their anti-anxiety. So if you were to give that, that na naive new patient, that dose of the person who had such the high use, you're most likely going to cause them to, to either get high or to just get a lot of side effects from the medication and sadly, all that causes is them to never use it again. And, and that's what we want to prevent. We don't want to scare away people. And that's what happens a lot is, oh, well, they said if I smoke, you know, marijuana, then I will get better. So I go and I buy it from, you know, the kid down the street selling it to the other kids down the street. And then I'm bringing it home and then I'm smoking it. And then I get completely sedated and, you know, can't function. So I'm never going to do it again. And it's, and that's what we want to prevent. I mean, it's a great medication and we're scaring people away by not properly treat, teaching them how to use it. 
So for that brand new naive person, I probably would have put her on a, on a full spectrum CBD. So it's mostly CBD with only like 0.3% THC, just enough to, you know, get the brain chemistry to work, but not enough to cause that high. And she probably would have stayed on it, but with a recommendation that is for such a high use for somebody who really doesn't use that much medication, you're just misdosing them. And that's why, I, I mean, let's put it this way. You don't go to your neighbor down the street. You don't go to your brother-in-law. You don't go to your best friend from back in the day and ask them how many pills of your high blood pressure medication you should take. So why should you do the same with your cannabis medication or your herbal supplement medication? It doesn't make any sense. It's if you don't trust them to, to, to tell you how to take your actual prescription medication, then you shouldn't trust anybody besides a professional healthcare advisor to teach you how to take your cannabis medication as well. Well, I can tell you how many times my patients would advise each other in front of me when one of them posed me a question, some like three other people would step in and start to, you know, convey their advice instead. So th that's, that's for sure it happens. And what we want is for that trust and um, the expertise to step in so that you can cut out the legwork of trying things that don't work or maybe even harmful. Um, so can you also talk a little bit to the side effect that I hear a lot too, um, because of the psychoactive effect of both CBD and THC, but more so the THC of the paranoia side effect? Like, does that have to do with the plant species or with, you know, the genetics or of the person that is consuming it? That, why is that an issue for some people? So, um, the, so with all meta, with both CBD and THC, they both have paradoxical reactions. So, um, unlike regular pharmaceuticals, and this is actually how the plant protects itself and protects the people who use it. So it's a very, the nice thing about cannabis is it's extremely safe. And that's, um, I actually read a great statistic one time that you need to inhale 1.3 tons, I believe. Oh no, sorry. One point. Yes, it was, uh, I think it was 1.3 tons of cannabis within 15 minutes to, to, to die from. And if anybody is able to ingest that much cannabis in that short period of time, I would be impressed because that is a lot to go through in such a short period of time. I don't think, I physically don't think it's possible. Um, either way, so it's a very safe plant, but like I said, it's safe because of its paradoxical reactions. So originally you're, I mean, most people actually incorrectly dose themselves with THC for anxiety um, without that CBD because they're like, oh, well, I'm anxious, so I'm gonna take this. Well, I'm still anxious, I'm gonna take a little more. Well, I'm still anxious, I'm gonna take a little bit more. The problem is with THC is as soon as it hits its peak, it starts doing the opposite. So instead of actually treating your anxiety if you go too high, you're actually causing anxiety. And the same thing happens with CBD. So any effect that either of the uh, cannabinoids have separately, they'll have the opposite effect if you overdose on it. So like I said, so THC originally is supposed to be really effective for insomnia. It really helps you with your sleep. But if you overdo the THC, you're actually going to have a lot of insomnia, insomnia problems. And then um, it's the same thing with anxiety with THC. So that's why you really need both because the combination of both together prevents that paradoxical reaction. I mean, it still exists, but it, what happens is it kind of curbs those side effects. So, and also allows you with the utilization of both, you actually can also use less of either uh, cannabinoid as well. So, I mean, 
right now, Epidiolex that's being used for um, seizures, uh, seizure patients, um, the dose is extremely high for CBD. And due to that, it's actually causing some side effects, which they figured out that if they reduce the dose of Epidiolex, they actually aren't seeing those side effects. So the way to reduce the dose of either CBD or THC, but keep it as effective is actually to add the opposite cannabinoid to keep that nice, you know, balance that nice homeostasis. So you really need, so, so the, um, so, you know, it does cause that that's a lot of times because people are using too much of it. A lot of, I have a lot of patients who have been THC users their entire life, you know, their, uh, their flower, you know, their flower, which is like the raw bud users and, all of them are, you know, will, you know, and if you look at the percentages, most of the percentage of what they inhale actually has almost no CBD in it. So, you know, when I have educated them on, oh, well, you know, I keep upping my dose, I keep upping my dose, I, it's not really helping me. I'm, at, I think it's making it worse. You know, I'll say, well, add a little bit of CBD. Let's see what happens. So they add a little bit of CBD, and they're like, oh, okay, that helps a little bit. So I'm like, okay, well, now reduce a little bit of your THC and add more CBD, and they'll do that. But then I'll do it the opposite way too. There are people who are only on CBD and they're like, well, you know, I think my, my anxiety seems to be getting, you know, a little bit better, but like I'm, my mind is still racing. And then I'll say, you really need a little bit of that THC to help with that brain effect. So it's the, the paranoia really comes from the overuse. And that's why we want to make sure with patients are on proper dosing so that they don't have that overuse. They don't have that, you know, um, that whole, uh, that whole feeling of like being high, you know, yeah. or being, or, and then, or getting paranoid. Cause that's, that's the paradoxical reaction is THC starts helping you with your paranoia and anxiety, but the second you take too much, well, now it's triggering your paranoia, put paranoia and anxiety. So, so do, like- do we have any hypotheses about why people are having the paradoxical reactions? Is it certain people with certain genetic polymorphisms and how the enzymes are converting the THC or is it just the saturation of the THC receptors? Like, is there any research indicating that? So what they have shown is, I mean, so in general, the, the, the chemical, those cannabinoids in general have these reactions. It just, they just have these abilities to go again and which, which also, you know, in some ways also helps you. So like, for example, you can't, if you were trying to achieve the high, you know, for insomnia or whatever, and if you kept going, you're, you're going to hit a point where you're not going to get more. You're either going to be knocked out or you're going to kind of stay at that level because it's not going to let you go more. Um, and that's how it protects itself. So it's just, but it, but it is very much so on, you know, the cannabinoids binding to the receptors and, um, you know, and then when the, sat- and then when the uh, receptors do get saturated, you have, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the, they, we do have enzymes in our system to break down these properties anyway, um, naturally, but because we're ingesting them, we do have the potential to saturate. The nice thing though, is that once the receptor is saturated, um, it actually will send signals back from the brain, uh, from those areas of the body back to the brain to say, Hey, you know, we're good. We don't need this anymore. And it, by doing that, it actually down regulates the receptors you have to be able to trigger. And that's what keeps you safe. So um, the, it's a really, you know, it, it does exist. Um, but if you work with a provider um, who, who works with cannabis, you can make sure to get around these reactions and make sure that to not trigger them. Yeah. And can you also just mention the epidiolex? So was it the liver reactions that people were having? And was it um, age related or it was just affecting everyone? 
they were seeing it from any age range. They were just seeing that to be able to control the seizure um, profile properly, they had to use such high doses of the CBD. Um, and since it has no THC in it, you were unable to bypass to um, pretty much if, if CB, if like, for example, if you were to combine and I say this, but again, I don't know firsthand because, you know, Marinol is synthetic THC. It's not natural THC. So that always does play a part. But if you were to like, let's, let's say, add a slight bit of Marinol to each one of these patients taking Epidiolex, the a percentage of Epidiolex they can do, they can reduce to still get that same uh, seizure threshold without, you know, or I'm sorry, increase the seizure, seizure threshold so you're not getting seizures while at the same time being able to lower the dose so you're not triggering the liver reactions. So it's, it's, it's really, it's, they have seen it in every, they have said, you know, they're able to control it when they reduce the dose. But then again, you know, with people with severe um, epilepsy, you always run the risk of reducing the dose, you might trigger the react, you might trigger the threshold again. Yeah, well, this was such a fascinating conversation. And we're running very short on time. But I just have one question, if you could quickly kind of walk us through the recommendations that you would usually be the best case scenario for your patients of how to combine those synergistic effects of the cannabinoids, um, like which products, product forms, ingestion or inhaling, like what would be your general recommendations that you usually start off with. And also, um, just quickly walk us through the plant species, you know, like hemp versus sativa and, you know, how you would take those components and kind of create the blend. Absolutely. So, so I, so the funny thing is I actually never give a cookie cutter because every patient is different and, and I do see them and treat them as different. Um, it also depends, it always depends on the past medical history, their meds, uh, what other ailments they have. But like, for example, if somebody were to come to me who is a cannabis naive user who has never used cannabis before, and they say, oh, well, I have severe chronic pain. Well, usually the, the rule of thumb is start with a one-to-one, -one, a one-to-one -one CBD THC ratio and, you know, see how it goes. You can do a little bit more THC with that one because chronic pain, you do need it. It's, it's usually chronic neuropathic pain. So it's not really that your body's in pain. It's that your brain is telling your body that it's in pain. So we need to fix those receptors that are improperly sending that message. So you really do need THC as well as the CBD for the chronic pain and specifically the neuropathic pain. So I would start them on a one-to-one. -one. I would start them on a very low dose, um, usually about 20 milligrams of CBD, um, you know, is, is, is usually where I would start depending on the ailment. Um, if I was doing a one-to-one, -one, I would usually start them on slightly less, um, of that. So probably like, a, I'd probably start them on like, I, like I said, a one-to-one, -one, but a really low dose of both. Um, I usually, I think would start them probably about, uh, like, like I said, it all depends on the patient. Uh, but usually like around the, you know, around the two milligrams, if not lower of the THC and the CBD together, um, you know, see how that affects them, especially for cannabis naive patients. Um, and then, you know, every couple days I would up it, you know, I might double the dose, see how that affects them. Um, and, you know, but it's, it's, it's a thing that you should be working directly consistently with your pra uh, practitioner, uh, caregiver, uh, for not, not separately. So that's one thing for anxiety. I would do much higher CBD than THC since the body effect is so much heavier than the brain effect usually. 
So I would do usually higher CBD, um, higher CBD, like a 20 to one ratio. That way it allows the patient to function during the day. Um, if it's somebody who, you know, if we're using something like a maintenance medication, as opposed to a treat as a uh, symptomatic medication, I would probably put somebody on a um, edible and make sure that they're taking an edible every single day at the same time. And, you know, depending on how long the edible lasts in their system, I might say, you know, once to twice a day, depending on that patient situation. Um, if it is, um, if it's insomnia, I usually go straight to THC and I don't use the CBD. I use the CBD in the morning kind of to keep the brain function kind of steady throughout the day. And then the THC at night to kind of help you go to sleep, knock you out or CBDN, which is kind of when the uh, raw flour actually starts oxidizing, it releases a lot of CBD, CBN and CBN is actually really effective for insomnia as well. So if I were going to mix them, I would put the CBN specifically with the THC or the C THC by itself. Um, so I'll do that for, for, um, so, you know, people who have insomnia. Um, so really, again, it all just depends on the patient. Um, I usually do inhalables with people who either, um, need immediately fast reactions or people who, um, are not cannabis naive users or people who are, um, cigarette or vape smokers already, um, because that way it's easy for them. They know the, the method. Um, if a patient is not a smoker and does not want to do any sort of inhaling, um, I, I would switch to, I would usually start them off uh, for symptomatic treatment with either an oil or a tincture. Um, it depends on the patient. Uh, tinctures have the alcohol base where oils are the oil base. Uh, tinctures are really effective and they actually work slightly faster than oils, but they also have alcohol in them. So if anybody is in, uh, you know, is, can't have alcohol anymore, you know, or they just don't want alcohol in the system, you know, or if it's for a child, you know, I would never, ever, ever recommend um, the tincture because you always want to make sure that that's being used by somebody who can have alcohol and who's not, up, who doesn't get bothered by it. And then you've got the oil. Um, the oil takes a little longer to kick in, only about 15, about 15 minutes more, um, can be used by anybody, has no alcohol in it, uh, does have an oil taste because it's an oil. So um, some people kind of find that taste to be a little bit funny, even though the oil is very, very thin. Um, but if they don't like that taste and they have no problem with alcohol, then I would tell them to go with the uh, tincture. Um, you know, topicals are great. I'm a big fan of topicals. Um, at this point, there has been no studies to really show that intradermals work. And for those that don't know, intradermals are when you apply it to the skin, but it doesn't work on that specific area. It works on like systemically on the whole body. So it has to get absorbed in. So that means that the THC has to get absorbed from the skin into the bloodstream and then go around the whole body. So transdermal right now, is another trans, way. Yeah. Yeah. Transdermal. So um, intradermal, transdermal. And what they found is there hasn't been great studies that show this is effective. Topical. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Topical is amazing. Um, I have a couple of topical products um, that are just fascinating, like fabulous that are kind of like an icy hot that actually works properly. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really cool. It actually turns your body hot in one place and cold in another place, depending on what your body needs in that area. So it's pretty fascinating because it has uh, natural uh, essential oils in it too. Essential oils are great. So yeah, um, all in all, it depends really heavily on the patient. Um, most practitioners would say one-to-one -one for chronic pain, heavy CBD, low THC for anxiety, um, heavy THC, low CBD for insomnia. But honestly, it just depends on the patient, depends on their past medical history, depends on their past usage. And it depends on what type of form they're able to ingest and 
what form they that works best for them for what they're looking for. Well, thank you so much for that, you know, densely packed mini lesson that you you walked us through there. Um, now, I just brought me to one final question. Uh, is there a risk of addiction with cannabis? And is there any patient population that should not be on it? So from the study so far, there hasn't, you can't get addicted to it per se, you can get you can decide you want to keep using it because it works so well. And you're like, Oh, I like how I feel better while using it. So I mean, only addictive in the way of saying, Oh, well, you know, this, you know, migraine medication doesn't give me migraine, you know, takes away my migraine. So of course, I'm going to keep using it. It's the same kind of concept. But like I said, it's a very, very, very safe plant. Um, and very much so made sure to, you know, based on its components, components, it's able to balance itself out. Um, so when it comes to side effects, I would just say, you know, my favorite quote from my toxicology professor is the dose makes the poison. So, you know, higher dose, higher chance of it hurt, you know, of having a negative of side effect. Um, but in general, no, it, it, it's a very, very safe medication. There are people that shouldn't use it, though. Um, the number one ailment that they found that shouldn't use this is bipolar, patients with bipolar. And that's just as of right now. Um, they haven't had enough based on the research, they've shown that taking CBD or THC or a combination mm -hmm. has been shown to trigger the manic side if they're in the depressive side. So it's, it does over trigger the, the um, psychosis. So we definitely want to make, so I always recommend for uh, bipolar patients not to use it. Um, they've actually shown that for schizophrenics, it doesn't, it somehow doesn't trigger schizophrenics um, reaction. So that's great. Um, but it, in, it doesn't treat them either. It more just kind of keeps them a little less agitated. Um, so it's really good if they're like aggressive or, or agitated, it helps with that. Um, the other people that shouldn't use it. I mean, obviously at this point in time, based on no research, we cannot recommend pregnancy or lactation because mm -hmm. we just should never recommend it anyway, because really, you we know, just, when you're pregnant, you shouldn't be on anything. You should just be taking care of yourself, having nice, natural, healthy foods and taking care of the baby. So, um, so I can't recommend it, of course, in that patient, uh, you know, area because of that. And um, also there is the, there is a side effect. Um, people think that it's completely side effectless and it's, that's not true. Um, you have your basic side effects, but there is a severe one, which is the hyperemesis disorder. And it doesn't happen to everybody, but it does, it's actually a very small population, but it happens for patients. And usually you see it after about six to eight years of cannabis use you'll start getting it where you actually, by taking the cannabis, you actually start vomiting excessively. Mm -hmm. And the only, and the way to really know if you have this is the intense desire to take a hot shower and it has to be like a very hot shower. And it does, again, it's the percentage of patients this happens to is very insignificant, but it exists. And it's always something to mention because it's not for new users that get this. It's really for chronic users that have you know, been on the medic, the cannabis medication for years, and out of nowhere, it can cause this reaction. So I always mention to patients to like, look out for it, you know, and again, if to always use the lowest dose effect, lowest effective dose, there's no re you don't get extra benefit by taking more of a dose. So might as well take exactly what you need to get your, your, your ailment to be your symptoms to be relieved, and then leave it at that. Yeah, well, that's certainly a paradoxical effect. The something that should usually take care of your nausea gives you that um, nausea. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but you mentioned before that you could 
potentially taper off once you kind of got your symptom management and your pain sensors under control, that's an option too, to just taper off the cannabis. Yeah, I mean, for and, and this is not just cannabis. This is, you know, as a pharmacist, I recommend this for all meds, all supplements, everything. Why be on something if you don't need it? I mean, your body, the... The great thing about utilizing cannabis and raw herbs, you know, that have all the properties of the full herb is the fact is they work with your body and they actually go into like repair, but they're not there. They're not like, but they're there to teach your body in a way how to function properly, how to function without them. They're there just as kind of like a crutch just to help you out. So really, if you're feeling, you know what, I haven't had any pain in months, really, I've been feeling pretty good. Then talk to your, uh, cannabis clinician and say, Hey, I've been feeling pretty great. You know, I, I haven't had any pain. So then, you know, slow, the clinician will slowly wean you down and see if we can keep that same level of control without with a lower dose. And, you know, and I have patients who have had the opposite where they've used for so long that their dosage really is not effective. Um, and as much as I hate to do this, I usually recommend to them, you know, you really need a, wa- they call it a washout period. And I usually recommended it during like, you know, two days, maybe when you're not going to go, where you're not going out and about where like you're home and it's quiet. And, you know, that way you can like, you know, you start getting a headache, you can do something else about it, but at least you're not in public. So, or at work. Um, and then usually I'll say for two days, you know, no THC, no CBD, completely wash yourself out. And then usually when they start up again, 48 hours is effective. Um, 72 is usually the recommended if possible. And then after that 72 hours, just, you know, you, you're, when you start again, you start at a much lower dose and see how that works for you. And you only titrate up until you need it. But once you see that effect again, you stop there. Mm-hmm. And then that way it prevents you from going into high, high use of cannabis. Yeah. I also just use the example of food. Like we all need to eat every day, but we don't necessarily, even if broccoli is healthy, we don't have to have broccoli every day. We can, you know, diversify with other cruciferous veggies and other brassica family plants and other greens and get different types of uh, plant chemicals that are there and that will give your body the chemistry that it needs. Um, But you do have to eat, but you don't have to always eat the same stuff. So same thing with using plants and supplements. Yeah, you should always like move, you know, try different things, move it around. Like, you know, I was very anti-CBD for a very long time. And I also thought it was fake and placebo. And then we heard about all that mess that went on with the vitamin E oil in the the inhaler. And so it's just, and the vaporizers. So it's just, you know, the biggest thing I, the biggest take home is trust your clinician, trust your provider and trust your product. You need to be able to trust both your provider who's giving you can- uh, cannabis information and the product you're using. And if you're, and if you're, pro- and your provider should know a reputable products to use. And if they don't ask, you know, see if they know somebody who does, because the last thing you want to do is take somebody else's advice on what medication and what dosage would be the best for you as an individual. Yeah, I'd love to hear some resources that you can provide for the listeners. Um, first of all, where you got trained, because you seem super knowledgeable. Um, and, you know, where both pharmacists and patients can go look up a different providers. So with, with providers, I personally, I'm not the best for that one. So I'll be honest. Um, but when it comes to uh, research, um, I would al- I always recommend uh, for pharmacists, at least, if you're interested in being a part of the cannabis um, world, really, 
Um, I would say, or field, I would say um, definitely join or at least look into the International Society of Cannabis Pharmacists. Um, there is an entire society for pharmacists and cannabis. So, you know, if you're a pharmacist and you're interested, I would definitely say this is this is the time. It's now. It's this is this this is the jump off point. You know, it's not the start, but it's definitely the the platform point where if you want to be in this field, if you want to be in cannabis, if you want to help patients with cannabis education and cannabis um, therapeutics, this is this is when to start. It's to start now because we are the breaking front of this of this field. And it's one of the few fields that has more pharmacists in it than any other provider. So um, besides possibly nurses. So but nurses and pharmacists are leading this field right now. So that's so great. And, you know, I always encourage pharmacists, you know, join the International Society of Cannabis Pharmacists. Um, they do have, so that was my first training program. Um, it's their uh, clinical cannabis pharmacist program. It is a three-day uh, uh, virtual course where it's like you're actually, for us, it was remote because of COVID. But um, in every, everybody else, though, um, in future years, they're going to have it at their, their uh, annual conference, which is a three-day um it's a three-day course where you um, have you have presentations by other by other cannabis practitioners that educate you, tell you how they use it, um, go over different ailments, the side effects, endocannabinoid system, um, and then you actually sit for an examination, um, just like your Netflix uh, for for patients and for uh, for uh, pharmacists and for patients or any other uh, clinician uh, uh, practitioner. Um, I would recommend the, uh, the medical cannabis mentor program. Uh, that was the one I just took and I really loved it. It really goes into a great background. It goes over dosing, it goes over side effects, it goes over different patient populations. Um, and then just the, the different uh, focuses. It also has quizzes all throughout the, um, at, um, all throughout the course. And um, at the end of it, you do t uh, get a certification for being a, uh, a a, a medical cannabis mentor. Uh, lastly, and if you're really gung ho and you know this is the right career for you, and you just you just love cannabis, like you just think it's the best medication ever, like I do, um, I would I would recommend applying for a, your to get your master's uh, through the Maryland School of Pharmacy. Uh, I believe it's through the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. They have a uh, master's of science in uh, cannabis therapeutics. So that will, it gives you, it's a two-year program. You can do it at home um, while you work. So it's, it's like, a, like a night school. And uh, twice a year, you have to fly to Maryland um, for those two years, but that's it. So, and then that way you actually get your master's. So anybody who is a uh, practitioner who is really interested and definitely knows this is the field for them, like I do, I'd say just go all the way, get your master's. And then that way, you know, once, the field starts getting very saturated, you know, at least you have a leg to stand on and you can set yourself a part of a lot of people have a lot of uh, information. A lot of people have had a lot of guidance, but I have my master's, you know, so it really does set you apart to show that you have the knowledge, but you also have the background. Yeah. I love that. I saw that program actually. It looked super interesting. Yeah, I actually am in the process. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed, 2021, I will be in the fall semester and I will graduate in uh, spring of uh, 2023. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I saw them um, taking applications for the new class. So cool. Well, 
seriously, like you gave us so much information. Thank you so much. But do you have just one more minute for a super rapid fire question? Sure, go for it. Let's do okay. it. Um, number one, what's your number one advice for people to start feeling better right now? Right now, um, first figure out if you trust your practitioner, the person, your provider. Do you trust them? Nope. Find a new provider. Step one, find a new provider. And if you really believe in cannabis therapy or you're really interested about it, make sure that your new provider knows about cannabis or at least works with somebody who does know about cannabis. Okay. Number two, what is your favorite hobby? <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. So my favorite hobby, and it's not talking as much as it seems like it is. Uh, my favorite hobby is actually dancing. I was a dancer. I was a dancer for many years in high school. So I did jazz, tap, ballet, point, hip hop, modern, a little bit of ballroom. So I definitely, my favorite hobby is definitely dance. High five, girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finally, what's your favorite beverage? Ooh, okay. I was talking about regular alcoholic because I don't know about regular. There's just too many options. Too. <laughs> All right. Well, I will say I, there is a new product that I have tried that I'm super obsessed with. Um, it's actually a cannabis medication. It is, um, you can get it in one to one, 20 to one, whatever. Um, uh, it's THC um, dominant. Um, but it is so cool. It is a cannabis wine. It's like a can of wine. So it's, it comes in a regular 750 bottle, the whole bottle, the entire bottle is only 80 milligram, 80 uh, mil, uh, calories, sorry, I can't speak, 80 calories for an entire 750 ml bottle, no alcohol at all. So if you are, you know, an, you know, if you were a past alcoholic, or you don't touch alcohol, you can absolutely drink this, it is delicious. And it's great. And it has so like, that's become like my new favorite drink. Um, in general, I would have to say probably for non-alcoholic, I like, well, that wasn't alcoholic, but, uh, for non, um, for day to day, I'd say iced tea. I like iced tea. Good choices. Wow. You have to, uh, also give me the product name for the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll, t I'll, I'll send you a message. It is so good. It's, um, it's from a company called Viv and Oak, B-I-V and Oak. And uh, they are amazing. They, the product is great. It's really effective. And the flavor is just awesome. So I've kind of gotten away from alcohol. I don't know if it's age or what, but just with time, I've just kind of been like, eh, alcohol is good. I might have a drink like every, like once a month, maybe once, you know, a couple of months. Um, but with uh, this, I really love it because it allows me to like have a glass of wine while other people are drinking but it has no alcohol in it. So that way I don't have to worry. And then if I want to stay functional, I'll just do the CBD heavy one. And it's pretty much just like, I'm just treating my anxiety while other people are, you know, enjoying their wine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So um, lastly, please tell everyone, Dr. Leah, how they can reach out to you and get to know more about you. Sure. Thanks. So um, right now my website's still being under is under construction because that's always, that seems the story of my life. Um, so right now, the best place to reach me is I have a private group on, on uh, Facebook, um, and it's called Alchemist Consulting. And um, we'd I'd love to have anybody who's interested. I like to post a lot of things on there about um, different, um, different treatments, uh, new articles that have come out with showing different usage. For example, I just recently posted that there's been 
um, a new study showing that uh, cannabis can actually, you know, help to prevent dementia, which was a huge article. I was like really excited about that. So that's one location. Um, you can also um, reach me through email at uh, dr.leahrj at gmail.com. So drleahrj at gmail.com. Um, you could also reach me by cell. Um, you can give me a text or a call at 408. 418-8802. Again, that's 408-818. Uh, let's try again. 408-418-8802. Okay. Well, awesome. Thank you so much again for this episode. I had a blast and I'm sure it's going to be just a wealth of knowledge for anyone tuning in. So, um, so let's definitely keep in touch and I'll include all that information in the show notes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Raw Fork Podcast. And I truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you learned something new from it, I would really appreciate if you can give us a five-star rating and a sincere review so that more people can find it across the podcast platforms. To get in touch with me, please go on rawfork.com or email me directly at marina at rawfork.com. Take good care and I'll see you back here next week.